Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Hey leaders, welcome to another special edition episode here on the Leadership Matters Podcast. Each November, we hold our annual leadership conference for church leaders. It's called Initiate Leadership Conference. And this past November 2021, we had set the theme as reset for our annual leadership conference. As I really feel like this pandemic that we've been through for the past number of months has really brought about with it this incredible opportunity for a reset. For us as church leaders, leaders, to really hit the reset button and figure out moving forward, what do we really need to be about? We understand, I think all of us, that in the past number of years we can almost accumulate the number of things that aren't necessarily important along the journey of leadership and church leadership specifically um, in, in, in what we're called to do. And so that's kind of where we went this past leadership conference. And each of our initiate conferences, we always have some general sessions where it's all leaders in the same room hearing from one keynote speaker. And so what you're about to hear is from our second general session, Initiate 2021, we had a special guest speaker, um, Pastor Bill Markham from Central Community Church in St. Catharines. He's been there 20 years and has been leading that church since 2008. And they're just doing some incredible, really, really cool things. Outward-minded, he's a forward-thinking leader and one of my favorite communicators to listen to. And so this is his message entitled Navigating Our New World. And it was all about really coming out of COVID. What's the church really going to look like? What do we need to be paying attention to? And uh, I know you're going to be inspired and challenged as you listen in to this message from Bill Markham. In 1803, a man by the name of Meriwether Lewis now, let's just stop there because Meriwether is an awesome name. I mean, if you have that name, you are destined for greatness. Actually, I think you should name your next child Meriwether. But Meriwether Lewis and his really good friend, William Clark, set out on an expedition. It was a very creative title. They called it the Lewis and Clark Expedition across the United States to find a passageway from the East Coast to the West Coast for trade and for strength and for growth. And in their journey, they anticipated, they expected, the theory was that they would find waterways all the way across the great continent. But of course, if you've read the book by Todd Bolzinger called Canoeing the Mountains, or you've heard this in history somewhere, you'll know that everything they planned for, everything they knew, everything they had trained for and hired a team around was not equipped for what they were going to run into, the mountains. And they had to quickly change their expedition from a canoeing expedition through waterways to a mountaineering expedition. They had to figure out how to radically change their mindsets and their approach to get over the mountains to find the passageway to the West. And my friends, I think we are at such a point in history again where everything we've known, everything we've been trained for is no longer going to be helpful or relevant as we try to navigate a new reality a new world. I love the way Todd Bolzinger said it in his book. And if you've never read this book, you got to get it. It is great. But he said, Christian leaders, you were trained for a world that is disappearing. And that's true. And I know it's scary. And I know it's a threat. And I know you're nervous and worried about it. But you can do this 
because we can do it with God's amazing help. And so today, I want to just talk to you about how we as a church at Central Community Church are kind of learning how to navigate this new reality. And the truth is, I still have more questions than I have answers, but I hope that by asking some really good questions, we together can figure it out because this is an opportunity. I know it looks like an obstacle, but I actually think it's an opportunity. And I want to remind you that this is not the first time, okay, in the history of humanity, in in our relationship with God, that this has happened. I think way back to the very first transformation among human beings, the agricultural revolution. So up to this point, we were hunters and gatherers primarily, and we lived in very small tribes. But with the discovery of how to grow agriculture crops, people started moving together, forming cities. And of course, there was conflict. With that, they brought all their different tribal gods, their different ideologies, and it wasn't really working well. So the revolutionary idea at that time came through a man by the name of Abraham. Probably heard of him. Abraham came up with this idea, this concept revealed to him by God that there was only one God for all people. Now, that doesn't seem revolutionary to us, but at the time, that was a major innovation in theology, in the way we think about God and the way we think about the world. And then advanced to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire created roads called the Roman roads. And for the very first time in human history, we could travel quite quickly between cities. Ideas could spread quickly. Actually, that's how the Romans conquered the world. They could, their military was mobilized and could move quickly and catch people unsuspecting. But it's not by chance that Jesus chose that time in history to come into this world with his message because it was in that time in history that the world was ready to quickly spread this amazing message throughout the known world. Then in the Reformation, many of us think it was great men and women of faith who led that, and it's true, but it was all made possible because of another innovation in technology called the printing press. Up to this point in history, you had to rely on a priest who could read Latin to tell you what God was saying. But now for the very first time, you could read in your own language the words of the Bible. It was a reformation, not just in theology, but in technology. And I actually think we are on the cusp. I love, I just love saying that word, cusp, of something new. And I don't see it as an, op- an obstacle. I see it as an opportunity. As a matter of fact, if you're paying attention, right now there's something being introduced called the metaverse. It's kind of a new thing. But soon it is going to change the way we think about God, the way we think about the world, and the way we interact with each other. And I would love, I would just love it for once if the church could be ahead of the curve instead of reacting and being dragged into it. So I want to talk to you about that today. But as we look at this new world, I do want to start with a couple of cautions. And I, and I wrote these down in my journal. Um, I said the first thing we need to be aware of is we must overcome the temptation to become sure of what we can't be sure about. I know a lot of leaders are guessing and speculating, and that's okay. But we got to be very careful that we aren't sure about things we cannot be sure about. We don't know. Sometimes we don't even know we don't know. But we need to be humble and open to something new. The second thing is we need to refocus on our purpose. Why we actually do this, not how we do it, but why, and how we are going to shape the future instead of allowing the future to shape us. And finally, it's going to take a a filter 
We're gonna have to filter out the noise. There's a lot of voices right now saying all kinds of things, conspiracy theories, negative, positive, whatever. And listen, we can't listen to the noise, the rhetoric. We must dig in again to what God is saying to each and every one of us and ask him, what do you have for me? So in this journey, it began and and COVID at first was really difficult for me too. Like I I was equally frustrated with you that we were shut down and we didn't know from week to week what was going to happen and what we could do and what we couldn't do and trying to figure out all the new restrictions. I get it. But COVID was also a gift in this. It made me and our team stop and think really hard about what we were doing and why. And the truth is we realized we were doing a lot of things just because we'd always done them. We were doing a lot of things because we were trained to canoe and we weren't ready to figure out how to navigate this mountain. So we went right back to the very first question that I think every church leader should ask. Why would anybody in the first place come to your church? Like, why would they? Do you know why? Now, again, I know what we think. Most of us think, oh, people should come to church. They're bad because they don't come to church. And I'm sorry, that's not leading. That's just being cranky and angry because you're not getting your way. We need to think about it. Why would anyone ever in our culture and context, the way it is today, not in 1950, not in 1850, not in 1050, today, why would anyone come to our church? And we, as we thought about it and prayed about it, came up with three reasons. One, because they're in a crisis. And so we had to ask the question, are we actually dealing with people in crisis? Are we actually helping them navigate through crisis? The second one was connection. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But connection is the number one need in humanity right now. We have more information than we've ever had ever in the entire existence of humanity. But we're also the most lonely we've ever been. So people need connection. And then, yes, they do need to grow spiritually. But again, I think we're spending all of our energy on a very small segment of society and actually a decreasing size of segment of our society who actually even think about spiritual growth. So I know, I know, I know the answer, right? The right answer is we need more discipleship. And you're right. But if we don't get people into a place where they want to be discipled, It's kind of like the chicken and the egg. It doesn't matter. You're not going to have either. And so we need to do that. So then we said, okay, so what is our opportunity? And I'll actually lean into the Bible on this. And one of my favorite books in the Bible, it should be as a Pentecostal, is the book of Acts. And I thought to myself, okay, well, what did the early church do that was so radical that maybe could help equip me and inspire me to make change in this culture as well? And the first one is what I call the Acts 8 moment. Um, so Jesus comes in to the world and he says, I, I'm, I want you to go into all the world. And he starts with Jerusalem and he says, I'm, you're going to go into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We call this the great commission. But in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, we, we realize they're stuck in Jerusalem. And the reason they're stuck in Jerusalem is because basically the most, the early converts were all Jews who became Christians. And so they kind of morphed some of their Judaic customs and cultures into more Christ-like customs and cultures, but it didn't translate really beyond Jerusalem. It didn't. So they didn't go. They didn't go to Judea, Samaria. And then something happens. A man by the name of Stephen is stoned to death and a great persecution breaks out among the church. And in Acts chapter 8, it says this really powerful statement. It says, and they spread the good news wherever they went. Sometimes, It takes a persecution 
a scattering for us to actually reclaim what we were called to do in the first place. Sometimes we need to be forced out of our comfort zone to think completely differently about who God is and the world in order to engage people with this amazing message that God loves all people. And then we read in Acts chapter 10, the major obstacle is going to be uh, the Jewish laws. So there's a man by the name of Peter, and I'm not going to take a lot of time. You can read it for yourself. But basically God says to Peter, I want you to break my law. It's pretty radical. The very thing that Peter was told all of his life, God wanted you to do by eating certain foods and not eating certain, certain foods, God now says, forget about it. Whatever I have called clean is clean. Don't you dare call it impure if I'm calling you to something new. And it's the only way Peter can get his head around going into a man whose name is Cornelius into his house. You weren't allowed to go. The law didn't allow you, but love compelled him to. Sometimes we let the law dictate what love should be mandating. And so he breaks through into the Gentile church. And then, of course, in Acts 15, oh yeah, so the Gentiles are just non-Jews. In Acts chapter 15, there's the controversy about circumcision. (laughs) And again, if you're Jewish, circumcision isn't a big deal because when you were eight days old, it happened. But when you're a full-grown man, a Gentile, it's a big deal. And it was through this new way of thinking about it that they realized, no, That isn't the issue. It's about being circumcised in your heart. Here's my point. This is not a new challenge for us. This challenge where society and culture shifts underneath our feet has been a part of human existence all the way back to the earliest parts of the Bible. And every time God has inspired great men and women who lead in through that innovation into a new way of experiencing God, connecting to God and connecting to each other without losing the message. The main thing is still the main thing. And my hope for you is that you might be one of those courageous men or women. So I just wanna dive in really practically now that we've kind of explored my philosophy, my approach to this. Three things, three trends that we are seeing that we as a church, and this may not necessarily apply to you, but I hope the questions at least you can take, process, and develop your own answer to them. Um, So we see three major trends, and I I wrote down about 20, but I I tried to boil them down to three. Here's what we are seeing in our context in St. Catharines, Ontario, at Central Community Church. The first thing is that we're seeing that content is being replaced with connection. Content has been replaced. For a long time, In the church world, it was about really good information. As a matter of fact, we developed a whole discipline called apologetics, which was really good information to answer skeptics' questions. And we thought that this information, if we just gave people really good information, they would make a good decision. And we're learning that that simply is not the case anymore. That people are less concerned with content and they're more concerned with connection. And so we've never had more information. I said this earlier, but we've never felt more disconnected. And I actually think this is where the church can lean in because we are supposed to be the best. We are at connecting to one another, regardless of your ideology, regardless of your background, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what language you speak. The gospel message is that we all belong to God and we are family. So. If this should be our strength, 
This should be something we should get excited about because we can lean into the very thing that Jesus died for us to experience, connection. But I think we're still a little bit hung up on our passion for content. So when you think about how we spend most of our time, it's probably in content development. Like, let's just, let's just think about it for a second. How much of your time is spent in content development or content absor- absorption, you know, through training, reading, whatever. And how much of your time is actually really spent in connection, authentic relationship? This is a really important question you need to ask. And what I'm learning too, with the next generation especially, they, they don't want your information. They don't. They don't care how smart you are. They, they, don't, they don't care if, you know, you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's and you're really slick with your illustrations and commentary. What they want is not your information. They want it to be our story. That, that whatever content we do develop needs to be framed in this is something we are in together. It's applicable. It's understandable. And so this has had a major impact. I mean a major impact in how we are communicating. The first thing we have changed is just our approach to communicating. Instead of me trying to find what the right answer is and to talk to you about something that hopefully will be interesting to you, we stopped doing that. And we said, actually, where are people at? Where are we at? What are we going through? And how can we talk about that and figure it out together? And we've also expanded our vocabulary in some ways and limited in other ways. Listen, I know. You expect everyone should know the Bible. Can I help you out? Most people do not. So we're still using words that they do not understand. We are still communicating top down to them instead of bringing them along in the journey. So I'm not opposed to words like repentance at all. At all. But we need to explain what it means. And so in our context, whenever we do use a word like that, we just simply say, and that means to turn around. We gotta remember that if we are going to be connected to all people, we have to expect that someone who, think of the person who's the furthest away from God, is gonna be sitting in that context and they need to be included in the story. We need to rethink how we do communion. We need to rethink how we do baptism. And I'm not saying we don't do those things because those are beautiful things for connection. It just means we have to figure out how to invite everybody into the experience. We have got to stop being exclusive. We have got to stop being arrogant about what we believe and that the goal is for you to become like me. We need to change from content-driven to connection-oriented. And so are you answering questions that people are actually asking? Or are you just regurgitating rhetoric because it sounds good? It's what you learned in in seminary or Bible school. Are you actually caring about where people are really at? And so, all I'm saying is when someone comes into your context, whatever that is, all they want to know is, have you thought about me? Have you thought about me? This is such an important thing for us that even in our new building, we just decided, and this may be radical, and I'm sorry if this offends you, I'm not trying to, this is just in our context. We decided to go floor to ceiling bathroom stalls. Why? Because we have people who come in who identify in all sorts of ways, and we just want them to feel like they are welcome that it's safe no matter what you're, where you're at, you get to belong before you believe. And I know that's radical because most of us get that wrong. I think we think you have to believe and then you get to belong. Nope, I'm sorry. That's not how Jesus did it. 
Jesus allowed the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, no less, who was a, a sinner by the community standards. He sat with her and he talked to her. Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house. Jesus was willing to be associated with people because he thought of them. He thought of them and so should we. So for us, this means practically we've changed our metric of success to not how many people show up. That's okay, but it's not that important. Rather than how many people are showing up to who is really genuinely connected. Our greatest metric right now is how many people are connected in a life group. That's become it. That's become our obsession. Because again, if they show up on Sunday, and I don't know if it's like for you, but we have limitations and restrictions. We have people not coming back. And again, people will come and go. That's the nature of humanity and our society right now. But how many people are in genuine relationship, genuinely connected so they can grow spiritually? And so for us, when we hear the number that we have 3,000 people connected in groups, it means we're doing what we believe is the right thing. And then even when that, we thought about how do we gather when we connect? So with our limited restrictions right now, we just built a huge tent, uh, rented a huge tent outside so people could actually connect. We've thought about connection points. How do we invite them in? Baby dedications have become a huge way of us for connecting into our community because people invite people. So just think about this. Are you still championing content? That's the old way. That's the canoeing the river way. Or are you valuing and thinking everything through how do we connect people to God and to each other? That's the mountaineering way. The second thing that we've learned is that loyalty to the tribe you were born in has been replaced with identity with the tribe of your choosing. This is very hard for church people <laughs> because we love our church family. And we want everyone to be loyal just because they go to our church. We think, well, if you go to our church and you grew up in this church, you should be this and that and the other thing. And I'm sorry, the world has shifted underneath you. People now are choosing. They still want tribes. They still want to belong, but they're choosing which ones they belong to. And they choose by the value they perceive they are gaining. I know it sounds selfish. It sounds whatever, but that's the truth. You just need to know. So... In this context, there are, there are literally four types of leaders, right? There are those who are consciously competent. They, are, they have impact and influence, that's the competent, and they know why. They can articulate the why. And that's what we're trying to go for. Are you consciously competent? Do you know why you're experiencing success or not unsuccess? Some are consciously incompetent. They know things aren't working, but they just don't know why they're not working. And this is where you have to become aware. Some are unconsciously competent. <laughs> the things are working, but they don't know why. And so you need to be able to articulate the why. And then unfortunately, this is going to sting a little bit, but a lot of us are unconsciously incompetent. It's not working and we don't even know it's not working. The church isn't growing and expanding and we aren't even aware of it. We're so isolated, so insular, so excluded that we're not even aware that this isn't working anymore. And so our goal is to get back to being consciously competent, having influence and impact by the power of the Holy Spirit, but knowing the why. And so it starts with why am I doing this and what is the impact and effect? And I think in this increasingly lonely and isolated culture, we need to reclaim the unbelievable message of God's love for all people.
for all people. I'm going to be honest just for a second. Uh, my heart is kind of broken at the way the Christian church has responded to the coronavirus situation, the pandemic. I, I'm, I'm a bit grieved that we haven't seen this as an opportunity to leverage God's amazing love. Instead, we've become speakers of hate, rhetoric, exclusion. As a matter of fact, the very thing that, our, that we hate in our culture, cancel culture, is what we have become. We have started canceling people because they don't have the same theology as us, because they don't look the same way that we look, because they don't go to our church, because they don't believe what we believe. We have got to be healed from this I'm going to call it sin. The reality is that God's amazing love is unconditional and for all people. And people are looking to be connected. And so it's again our opportunity to gather those who feel like they don't fit, feel like they're on the outside looking in, feel like no one cares for them. It is an opportunity because there's so many now. That number is increasing for us to remind them that you are welcome here, that there is a God who loves you. And I know it's going to take courage because I get called all kinds of things. Lots of not good things, but so did Jesus. Jesus was called a drunkard, a friend of sinners, the son of the devil. And he was willing to do all of that because he wanted people to know God's amazing love. He was even willing to look down at those who had beaten him to an inch of his life, nailed him to a cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And my friends, if we don't get this love thing right, it doesn't matter how big your church is, how many programs you run, it doesn't matter. Because love, God's love is the only thing that's going to change the world. And it is supposed to be our prime message. And then the final thing we've noticed is that awe-inspiring has been replaced with authentic. Recent surveys are showing that young adults are leaving churches that are flashy, whatever word you want to use. And this is hard for me because we've actually taken a lot of pride. I don't know if that's the right word or not. But in our ability to communicate really creatively with lots of creativity. But people aren't interested necessarily in that anymore. There's nothing wrong with that in itself. But what they're actually after is authenticity. They don't know. They don't care so much what you believe or why you believe it. They want to know who you are. Who are you really? And this is hard for us as pastors. And I'm just going to speak to Christian leaders for a second because I know that's who's in this room. We have been told and conditioned that we have to be a certain way. We have to act a certain way. In certain contexts, we have to be a certain person. And the truth is, most of us have had a really hard time truly being authentic. What do you, how can you be authentic when you have an idea that maybe goes against what everyone else is telling you you have to believe? Well, how can you really be authentic when you're going through a struggle and you're supposed to be the one who's got it all together? How can we truly be authentic? But let me tell you something. This world is looking for authenticity. They want to know you thought about them, yes, and you love them, yes, but you are the real deal. That when you say something, you're living it. It's not just rhetoric. And you figure out how to apply it and you're living in it. And so now, today, an expert isn't someone who has a lot of knowledge. That can be. But rather, an expert today is known by how someone who is listening to that expert believes that that expert's journey can help them in their own journey. So don't preach it if you don't live it. Don't talk about things you don't know about. Be 
authentic. Be the real deal. One of my favorite stories in our church family was a guy by the name of Peter. And where our current building is, they, we're surrounded by apartment buildings. And so there are 10-story apartment buildings all the way around us. And I can still visualize it in my mind on the fifth floor of the building right on our, our south end of the parking lot. There was a man. His name was Peter. And Peter hated me. He hated me. We'd have events in the parking lot and he would call the police because we were making too much noise. He would always be looking for infractions and, and he would always be, actually sometimes he would yell at me and I would get a call from Peter and he'd just be swearing and cursing me out, telling me, you know, you're awful, you're this and you say you love and all this kind of stuff. And every time I tried my very best to just remind him, Peter, we love you. And I'm sorry, we're not trying to make your life difficult. We want you to know that we're actually here for you too. To make a long story short, Peter's granddaughter was invited by another girl in her class to come to church. And that family had never been to church in their life, but this little girl loved Sunday school so much, she begged her mom, Mommy, please bring me to church every week because she loved the kids program. And if you're a kids pastor, you're a superhero. You need to know that. There is incredible value because you have the greatest opportunity. If you're a children's pastor, youth pastor, anything with EGen, the next generation, you're a hero. You just need to know that. Don't give up. Don't quit. It matters too much. But this little girl came and she loved the kids program. And so she came every week and her mom started coming and her mom started coming to church with her since she was dropping her off. She said, I might as well go into church. And through an amazing experience, her mom found Jesus. And then one week, Her mom, because of work, couldn't come to church. The little girl cried. She cried Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Finally, by Thursday, it was getting too much for the mom. Mom couldn't take it anymore. So she called her dad, Peter. And she said, Dad, I know you hate that church. I know, but could you please take your granddaughter? Just all you have to do is drop her off. Could you please just take her? She loves it so much, Dad. It would mean so much to her. And she's your grandbaby. And... Who doesn't do anything for their grandbaby, right? So Peter walked on to our parking lot. And because everything I have told you, we have tried our very best to capture, one of our parking lot guys (laughs) never met Peter before. Peter was this crusty Dutch guy, you know, like really rough. And the parking lot said, I don't know why he did this, but he threw his arms around him and he said, I love you. I mean, it was like they've never met, but this parking lot attendant understood the power of the message and connection that is about loving people, whether you knew them or not. And something happened in Peter in that moment. He broke down. He became a part of our family. He became part of my life group. And and I love Peter in my life group because uh, he was always the guy who said, Pastor, I don't understand what that means. Stop. And he was was kind of uh, annoying in some ways, always interrupting, but he was so hungry. And we learned through his story that he'd been abused in a church context as a child. That's why he hated the church. But through a long relational connection with Peter, Peter and I became friends. Um, he, He actually wanted to be at the church so much that he'd come over and volunteer to water the plants. And I remember when he came to me, he said, Bill, I want you to baptize me. You know, as a leader, there's nothing greater than that. To be given the privilege of walking along with someone to the point where they decide, I want you to do this with me. We're in this together. And I baptized Peter. 
About three months later, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And in just a few short months, he was on death's door. I remember walking into the hospital room where Peter was in the last stages. And if you've ever been there, you know I'm talking about the, the death rattle, the heavy breathing. He wasn't there, but his family was. And I had never met a lot of them, and you could tell, you know, they'd had a rough go at life. But one by one, they stood up and they hugged me, even though they didn't know me. And they said, Bill, I just want to thank you because for the last two years, we've had our dad. We've had our dad. And I was able to go beside the bed and I don't know if Peter could hear me or not, but I just told him, thank you, my friend. Thank you for reminding me of what God's love really looks like. And I'm glad we work so hard, even though we get criticized all the time. We do, criticized all the time. I'm glad we work so hard to create a space where you were welcomed and you were loved. And I'm glad we did it in a way that, that you understood and you could grow. And I am so grateful that we were able to connect, connect. See, Peter didn't find Jesus because of our flashing lights and my slick preaching. He found Jesus because a real guy with real problems and challenges threw his arms around him and said, I love you. And Peter had never been told that in his entire life and it changed him. So can I just be honest with you? I think this is what it means to be Pentecostal. I mean, I'm not talking that, I'm not discouraging or, or dismissing all the expressions and experiences we, we lean into, but it's actually just being led by the Spirit authentically. Letting Him fill your mouth with His words. Seeing people the way God sees them. And being who God created you to be. And so we've been asking ourselves these questions. How? How can we slow down? And sometimes we're just too busy with all of our programs. I mean, religion uh, prioritizes things, um, makes you want to do more. And, and we, we'd never say it, we'd never admit to it, but we feel like we need to do all these good things so God can be happy. Maybe you don't. How can you strip away some of that so that you can be genuinely connected to people again? And then how can we reclaim the home as a spiritual center, right? This is the, the challenge our next generation is asking. How can we do that? So as I close today, I just want to give you three statements that I think best articulates, I think, what we've been learning as a church and I've been learning as a leader. The first is we must reclaim truth from the rhetoric. There's a lot of rhetoric and it sounds true because we've said it so much, we actually believe it. But maybe we need to reevaluate that again. What really is true and what really does matter. Because a lot of the stuff that we think matters, I don't think it really does. Second, we must fight for people instead of our security. I know it's uncomfortable. I know, and, and please, I don't play the victim card on me. I know it's not easy, and I know it maybe feels like to you the whole world is against you, but they are not. You know why? Because God is for you, and God is for you so that you can be for people. Even if they're completely different than you, they vote differently than you, they have a totally different lifestyle than you expect or appreciate or respect, 
God loves all people. If you have forgotten that, please just read the Gospels again. Please just read how Jesus interacted with the outcasts of society. And then finally, we must equip our people instead of building a dependence on us. We need to help people be connected to God and to each other instead of depending on us to be their feeder, their source. Because we aren't the source, God is the source. And so, just like Lewis and Clark in their expedition had to change everything from a canoeing expedition to a mountaineering expedition, just like Abraham brought in a new idea, Jesus waited until Roman roads were available to come into this world, the printing press opened up all kinds of new opportunities for the church, so today, you and I are at the crossroads of decision. You and I have been empowered by God's Spirit to make a difference, but it might mean we have to do it differently. We have to strip away our religion. We have to strip away our pride. We have to strip away our exclusive mindsets and language. And we have to once again re-engage in the most important message, the message of Jesus. We must make sure that connection is more important than our content. We must. This is critical. We must make sure that we're not trying to win people with our awe-inspiring experiences, but we are truly authentic. And we need to understand that people are looking for a tribe to identify with. And we're a space where everybody gets to belong. And so, lead well. Have the courage to change when it needs to take place. And God, give you the strength to make an impact in this world. Well, I don't know about you, but I am certainly convicted and challenged by that message from from Bill. And I want to thank him once again for sharing his heart with us. And just so encouraged to see what they're doing there in St. Catharines. And I want you to seriously consider what you could be doing or what needs to change as we navigate this new world we're entering out of this pandemic. And so give that some thought. If you've been encouraged by this, challenged by this, share it with a friend personally invite them to come have a listen to this on whatever podcast platform they currently use. And until next time, as always, remember your leadership really does matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.